when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silverandblacktoday.com and now your host evan Grote. let's go raider nation and welcome back to just pod baby i'm your host evan Grote. thanks for joining me once again this week after a week off for me that's right we had a great time in florida last week had some nice weather recharged the batteries and i tell you what after the year we've been through, it felt real good to get out of town, just even if it was for a little bit. Now, Just Pod Baby is brought to you by silverandblacktoday.com. Check us out there on the web. Also, subscribe to the podcast. We are available on all major platforms. You can catch the show on the Silver and Black Today YouTube page as well, so make sure you're giving us a follow. And while you're at it, follow me on Twitter at egrope 5 Glad to have you with me this week. We are celebrating a milestone here on Just Pod Baby, episode number 100. Hard to believe. We've come a long way uh, in the past 100 episodes. I tell you, it's something I'm really proud of. And to help celebrate, I have a big lineup of guests for you this week. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Raiders fullback Alec Ingold, as well as NFL draft analyst Dane Brugler from The Athletic. You're really going to like that conversation that I had with Dane. A lot of great draft talk from him. And to round it all out, we're going to be joined by the legend, JT the Brick. He's going to join us. He's going to talk all things Raiders. So just a jam-packed lineup for you this week. I hope you really enjoy it. And and also, we have some some news to get caught up on since the last time we spoke. It's been a couple weeks. Uh, some some transactions that went down today. We're going to get into all of that uh, tonight. But, but, but I want to begin this week. I want to take a quick look back and just reflect back on the past 100 episodes. I started doing this podcast a little over two years ago now. And, you know, when I first got started, I really didn't know what to expect, to be honest. Uh, I had never done anything like this, to be perfectly honest with you. For me, I just love talking Raiders football. That That's uh, what it's all about for me. But the problem that I deal with living in New York State, unlike many of you who uh, are maybe located in areas where there's a large population of Raider fans, I just can't start talking Raiders football with anybody, right? People at work, they're all Bills fans. A lot of my friends, uh, you know, they're fans of the Browns or the Giants. Uh, Again, so I I just can't call up my buddy and start talking Raiders football. And and, and so for me, that was a problem. I want to talk Raiders football. I want to talk it 24-7. Twitter has helped me with that. That's allowed me to connect with some fans out there. And it's been great. But really... One of the, the main reasons why I decided to start writing, which which was what I did prior to, to beginning the podcast, um, is I just wanted to get my thoughts out. I had a lot of things that I wanted to say and a lot of ideas that I wanted to share and a lot of opinions that I wanted to share about the team. And my wife certainly doesn't want to hear me talk about the Raiders. So for me, talking into this microphone... Although I wasn't getting an instant response, it really helped me to get my thoughts out. And so, uh, you know, that that's kind of the origin and really the big reason behind why I began Just Pod Baby. Uh, but as I said, you know, the show has come a long way since we first started. Uh, in fact, I, I have, 
I was just listening to the very first episode uh, recently and just, just, you know, listening and, and, and how, you know, the things I was saying in, in my delivery. And I'd like to think that I've developed a little bit, uh, you know, since then, um, still not a perfect uh, finished product by any means. I'm, I'm still learning. Uh, but, you know, I remember a conversation that I had with my wife when I, I began or just before I began. And, and I remember saying to her, if I can get a hundred people to listen to my show consistently, I think it would be well worth my time. Right. Well, you know, two years later, uh, you know, we, we've far exceeded that number of 100 people. And I, I tell you, I, I really have enjoyed every episode. There, there isn't a, a time that I've gotten behind this mic and, and felt like it was a job or something I didn't want to do. I, I, love, I love doing this. And, um, you know, it, it's, been, it's just been a great ride. Um, I've had a chance to speak with some really cool people. Um, some great guests along the way, including players uh, from the team. I've interviewed college coaches, which is really interesting. Uh, I've got a chance to, to talk with all the different beat writers, or, or most of them, I should say. Not only from the Raiders, but from a lot of the other teams. Well-respected writers, national writers. Uh, that's just been great. It's been a. It's just been great for me to, to be able to do that. And as I said, it's been a fun ride. And I, and I hope that you guys have enjoyed listening to the show as much as I have, you know, creating it for you guys. And, and I'll wrap this up real quick uh, because I know you guys, this isn't why you tuned in, but uh, I just want to give a couple thank yous. I, I want to start with Scott Gilbranson, who has really been instrumental, uh, you know, especially in the last year and a half since I've come over to the team with, with Silver and Black today. Scott has just been a tremendous help to me. Um, always willing to answer a question that I might have. Um, I'm not the most technological advanced guy, um, and Scott's really good with technology. So he's always answering questions for me about technology or microphones, uh, soundboards. Uh, he's always he's helped me book guests. And just anytime I needed uh, to bounce an idea off of him, he's always been willing to, uh, to listen. Um, and, and the one thing I love about Scott is you know although we've never met in person we we've spoken on the time on, on the phone many times um you know he he genuinely enjoys helping other people that's that's what i've learned about him he enjoys seeing other people be successful and uh you know he was willing to put me on Raider Nation radio with him which was just a dream come true for me and, and so i just can't thank scott enough uh, big big thank you to scott i also want to uh, thank Mo Moten, who you know was my sidekick all all throughout this past season on the Monday night recap episodes, which I really enjoyed doing with him. I love having Mo on with me uh, to co-host. He he brings just a a, a new element to the show. Uh, his expertise, his knowledge, uh, he he he's just great. And and I know the listeners love it when he's on as well. And he's a busy guy, you know. He's got. He's got a lot of responsibilities that he has to take care of with, with Bleacher Report, and that's a big commitment uh, from Mo to come on with me once a week during the season when he's got assignments that he's got to uh, get to and deadlines and whatnot. Um, so big thanks to Mo. Um, and, and, you know, also thank you to the all the great guests that we've had on through the years. Uh, this show uh, is centered around guests. So without them, 
being willing to give me some of their time, it would be a much different show. You'd have to hear a lot more of my my ranting and raving, which is, I'm sure you, you wouldn't appreciate too much. Um, but yeah, I couldn't do it without the guests. And, and, and last but not least, I want to thank you, the listeners. And, and I'm proud of what we have built here. And I say we because this is our show. This is not mine. Uh, I may be the guy that's behind the mic, but I consider this a a family thing. This is about us and the loyalty that you guys have shown throughout the years. Um, although you may not always agree with my opinions, right? You, you stuck with me and, and you remain loyal. And, and so for that, I'm very appreciative and, and very grateful. And I, I couldn't have done it without you guys. I look forward to the next 100 episodes and uh, um, I, I think it's going to be a, a great ride. So I just want to make sure I got some of those thoughts out at the top. And now what we're going to do here is we're going to um, shift gears. And I want to talk about some of the breaking news that we, we we got on Thursday here. Just a couple hours ago, we learned that the Raiders will be moving on from a couple of members of the 2018 draft class. Arden Key and Maurice Hurst were both released today from the Raiders. And I can't say that I'm at all surprised uh, by the news of, of Arden Key. You know, he could just never find his way in, in the three seasons that he he played with the Raiders. Only three sacks in that time span. Really showed some some uh, potential in, in college. Had his issues with injuries, um, off-the-field troubles. Was a guy that I think had a lot of us excited, but could just, again, never really put it together. Was thrust into a larger role, I, I think, that, that maybe he was ready for in his rookie season when they traded away Khalil Mack and eventually moved on from Bruce Irvin that season as well. Probably wasn't ready for that large of a role, but you know he handled it well. He did, he did what he could do, dealt with the injuries in 2019, played in only seven games, and, and then they gave him a shot again last season, but just was not able to produce. And, and really, for me... You know, the writing's been on the wall for a guy like Arden Key. Um, when you think about, they drafted two defensive ends. The year after they brought in Key, 2018, 2019, they go out and draft Cleland Farrell and Max Crosby. Then the following offseason, they signed Carl Nassib, right, last year in free agency. And of course, this offseason, they bring it, they uh, they sign yeah, Yannick Ngakwe. So that tells you all you really need to know right there. Um, I thought he was a long shot to make the roster anyhow. Uh, I, I probably would have saw him being cut later in the summer. So not really a, a, a huge surprise, but it's unfortunate because for me, this is the guy they used the third round draft pick on just a couple years ago. And they have not had success with those third round picks. I know, and I know Key was, was drafted under the Reggie McKenzie and John Gruden, but the third round draft picks just have not panned out for this team in the last three years. And I think they might have even traded up for, for Arden Key. I could be wrong about that. Maybe it was Brandon Parker they traded up for. One of the two, I believe, was a trade up. You can correct me if I'm wrong about that. But, uh, you know, it's just kind of a reminder that in recent drafts, especially that 2018 draft class, because many of those guys are gone now. PJ Hall, he's another one. Uh, some of these draft classes have not worked out. And, and at least in the case of the 2019 and the 2020 class, there's still something left to be proved. I'm not going to write those two classes off, but the 2018 class, you know, outside of Colton Miller, 
Um, you know, can't say there's been any sh- sure things in, in that group. So just a constant reminder that, again, the, the drafting has not been as good as it, it should have been. Now, with Maurice Hurst, um, I do think that one comes as a, as a surprise to me. Uh, another member of the 2018 draft class, as I mentioned, he was a guy that some analysts thought could be a day one pick. He was being talked about as a first-round pick, late late first round. Now, we know the news of the heart condition. That pushed him down draft boards. But the Raiders were lucky enough to grab him in round five. Now, that being considered, he didn't play like a first-rounder, like he was touted as. He hasn't played like a first-rounder, no. Not by any means. But I, I thought he performed well enough to still be on the roster today. Right? I mean, I, I think the move was a little bit premature. I really do. One of the other factors that has to be considered in this is, and I don't know the details of the contract because I can't find them now that he's no longer on the roster, but as a fifth-round draft pick, he had to be making less than a million dollars a year. That had to be a very, very cap salary, salary cap-friendly deal for a guy you know, who's 25 years old, entering the final year of his rookie deal, so he's going to be very motivated. And he's shown some development in some flashes in three years with the team. Eight sacks. And and here's this stat that I saw from Josh Dubow today. Last season, Maurice Hurst had a 9.4% pressure rate, which ranked him 11th among interior defensive linemen with more than 100 snaps. Now that's not too bad. That's pretty darn good. That's nearly top 10. So I'm not so sure if it's a wise move to give up on a player like Arden Key so quickly, who's not a big burden on the salary cap and and who has been fairly productive. So I I definitely have some questions about that one. That one raised an eyebrow for me. Um, and and one of the other things, you know, I've talked a lot about questioning the, the direction. And, and the plan for this organization and how some of the moves that we have seen in this offseason really raised some red flags for me. Here's, this, here's one, for example. You give up on a guy like Maurice Hurst, but you feel confident bringing in a guy like Solomon Thomas, who, if you want to compare the two, Hurst has been more productive, has played one less season, has more sacks, has shown much more upside, much more potential, and much more development than a guy like Solomon Thomas. I believe they're the same age. They're both 25 years old. And I think Hurst was making less money. I think Thomas is making more money. So for me, you give up on Hurst, but you think you can rejuvenate a guy like Solomon Thomas. That, to me, has me confused. So, those are where some of my concerns come from. The other piece of news that I wanted to just quickly touch on uh, came down last week when I was off on vacation. That was the signing of of, of safety Carl Joseph. And you know, uh, I can't say that um, um, you know doing backflips over over the move like this. I think something had to be done, right? They we we all know there was a major void at free safety. Uh, I don't think any of us wanted to see Jeff Heath go into the season as your starting uh, free safety, and I don't necessarily believe that Carl Joseph will be your starter as well, but they had to get somebody in there. They had to get a veteran in there, and it looks like all, all signs are pointing to they are going to be adding someone 
through the draft who they feel can come in and, and play right away. Uh, it, it does seem that way. You know, we know we know what we're getting with Carl Joseph, right? I mean, Raider fans are very familiar with him, obviously. And, and you know, he's a guy who who I think maybe wasn't being used correctly with, with Paul Gunther. I think he's going to be uh, utilized better if he's playing co- close to the line. I think that's where he's most valuable. We know he was not very good in coverage. Teams like the Chiefs uh, really took advantage of him when they tried to match him up with tight ends. It, it was not a good idea. He's, he's undersized, and he just does not match up well with, with bigger receivers or, or tight ends. So, you know, we know what we're getting with, with Joseph. He, he's not going to be a difference maker. He has very little uh, production as far as interceptions. I believe he had one last year or, or maybe one with the Raiders. Um, but but just not a, a big difference maker as far as creating turnovers. Um, he does have some leadership he could he could offer to the young group. He was in the playoffs last year uh, with the Browns and and uh, so and, and I like him. I like him as a guy and, and I do like him as a player. But I still think there is a uh, a void there that needs to be filled. And I would look for them to to definitely bring in someone uh, through the draft to to get that done. All right, we are going to get to a quick break here, and when we return, we're going to get to our first guest, uh, Al Gingold. Uh, you don't want to miss that interview, so don't go anywhere. Be right back. Let's welcome in one of our special guests this week here to celebrate our 100th episode. Raiders fullback Alec Ingold joins us here on Just Pod Baby. Alex, thanks for the time and welcome to the show. Let's go. 100 episodes? That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm glad to be, be on. I'm pumped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're excited to have you on with us this week. Uh, I, I got a lot of things I'd like to, to talk to you about here. Now, I, I imagine after a long, tough season, uh, especially one where you, you dealt with some injuries like you did last year, you had the rib injuries. When that last game finishes up, I imagine that you'd like to take some time and kind of get away from the game and just take some time off. So I want to ask you about your off season. How's that been going for you and how's the body feeling? It's good. The body feels good. Uh, definitely been putting up big numbers in the weight room, running around with the guys. Um, honestly, I was kind of anxious. You know, I think the first few weeks you, you try and relax, not do a whole lot, don't travel and you get to see the family, whatever. But right after that, man, beginning of February, I was ready ready to be back in the weight room and get after it. So you know, there's a lot of things you want to improve on from last year to this year, and being healthy is one of them. So I've definitely been focusing on that and then doing some off-the-field stuff on the side and you know, just trying to be the best version of myself every single day, man. I'm, I'm excited to keep growing. You know, I think that's that's my message. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and we're going to get to some of your off the field work in just a second. Uh, you mentioned getting together with some of the guys. There's been some pictures out there and some videos circulating out there in social media of you and a group of other guys getting some work in out in the park in Vegas. Looks like I saw Ruggs and, and John Brown, Zay Jones, DC, of course, and Foster Morrow. Uh, how, how's that been going? And, and do you expect that number uh, of guys out there to grow as we get closer to the start of the offseason programs? Yeah, I think you could definitely expect that. Uh, more guys are circling in and you know you everyone gets to see their their wife their family their kids um so you never want to you know be bashing anybody for not showing up to stuff like that uh in vegas you know they're working their tails off all across the country right now whether they post it or not so i know a lot of raider nation gets really excited about those photos and 
you know, it just so happens that me and my fiance are out here, you know, for the whole off season. So we're able to go. So, man, I just love being out there with the guys, all the local guys that stick around and it's 80 and sunny pretty much every day out here and we get to run some routes and uh, keep getting better. So it's cool being able to learn from one another on that practice field. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's in a park. It's very, um, what's the word? You know, it, it just brings you back to the roots in, in understanding you're, you're playing a game. You're learning how to craft. You're learning from one another. You're teaching one another. And it's definitely a place where a lot of guys grow in different techniques. You get to try things, and then you get that, that compatibility and, and that uh, team camaraderie down as well. Absolutely. That's good, that's good stuff there. Now, uh, I'm not sure if you, you, you heard, uh, Commissioner Goodell, a couple, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, he came out and said that you know, he'd like to see full stadiums this season. And there's been a, I saw a report the other day that Allegiant Stadium is one of those, those stadiums that is expected to be at full capacity as well uh, this upcoming season. That's got to make you real excited, I'm sure. It must have been a really strange atmosphere for you guys to be playing in these empty stadiums last season. So what can you tell us about that and what, and what that was like for you? I cannot wait for the fans in the stands. I can't. I cannot talk. I mean, even the away games, man. Like, obviously, you wish you missed Raider Nation, and the the fact that Las Vegas could not just be exposed to that entire group of that that entire crowd, that entire following, that entire nation at the stadium. You know that that was tough last year, man. But even getting booed at away stadiums, man, I miss it. And then when you're winning on the road, and you still hear those chants of Raiders. You know what I'm saying, like. That's the stuff that you play for. That's the stuff that gets you excited in the fourth quarter. That's what pushes teams over the edge to win those ball games. So having full capacity at home is going to be huge, huge, huge. It's going to be amazing. I'm excited for it. The guys are pumped, bro. I mean, you, you just think about the energy that's going to be there, the excitement, the novelty of it. It's brand new. It's going to be technology is insane in there. And just being around that environment again, you miss the fans so much. And being able to score a touchdown and, and hear that explosion and, getting that that turnover and cheering with everybody i mean that's that's the stuff you miss and you you just hope that you you just can't wait to get it back so to hear that there's rumblings of allegiance stadium at full capacity i mean i can't i can't even put in words how much that means to our team yeah i'm looking forward to it myself i I was bummed out i had a i had a trip planned out there uh to see when you guys played buffalo i was supposed to be out there that weekend to see that game and of course no fans in the stadium, so I had to uh, travel to a game a little bit closer to where I live. I went to the Cleveland game last year, so uh, I did get a chance to see you guys live and in person, but I'm looking forward to getting out to Las Vegas this this upcoming season to, to take in that new stadium. Raiders fullback Elk Ingold is our guest this week on Just Pod Baby. Now, Elk, uh, this past season, you were nominated for one of the league's most prestigious awards. That, of course, is the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Now, I know that you devote a lot of your time off the field, the charity work, you, you, you kind of alluded to it already uh, here tonight. You help raise money for Three Square, which goes to uh, feeding families who are in need. You've also done work in supporting uh, the Special Olympics. And a cause that really hits home for you is that you've helped raise awareness for the importance of foster and adoptive families. So kudos to you and, and all that you've done uh, with all your off-the-field work. But could you tell us a little bit about that whole process last year, going through the Walter Payton, uh, being nominated for Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, and what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I came home one day after practice, and I had a missed call from the community relations guy, so I figured he had some sort of, you know, new event that I could that I could take part in that some of the other guys were putting together. So, you know, I didn't think too much of it. Got some dinner with my fiancé, called him back, and he's like, hey, man, just want to let you know that we're nominating you for Walter Payton Man of the Year. This is something that, you know, we, we know you've been working really hard for, and we want to congratulate you. And I was kind of speechless. 
You know, I think that's something where it was recognition that I was not expecting. I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing this community relations stuff because, you know, I want to help out the kids and inspire the people that are going to be that next generation of leaders, whether they're in foster care right now, whether they're going through adoption, um, you know, and the, the tough part about that, where you got to figure in, you know, all these different areas of financial literacy and food insecurities, any way to help these kids just be a little bit better, a little bit more motivated, a little bit more inspired to just do great things, to make the NFL, to, to start an amazing podcast, to truly, you know, believe in whatever they're doing. You know, that's my message. And to be able to get that nomination, that nod at, at your second year in the league, I mean, that was something where it just gives you all the motivation in the world to do it to the best of your ability and keep going. You know what I'm saying? That's that some people are really truly feeling that impact and you want it to be genuine. You want that one kid to just, you know, take it and, and whatever words you say, run with it. But, you know, at the end of the day, I do understand that this, this platform and the ability to help these kids comes from being a football player and comes from Raider nation comes from the fans and the Raiders spreading my message on social media and, you know, podcasts and, you know, whatever that the, the social, the, the communication with one another and just being able to rep that silver and black, rep that jersey, you know, that is where it all starts. So, you know, you, you're able to find a balance now where, man, I just put my heart and soul into this football thing and, and I, I work so hard to try and get better, but then you get to do the payback stuff. You get to pay back to your community, to Las Vegas. When I was back in Oakland, I did as much as I could in the Bay Area, you know what I'm saying? And just being able to be a part of, of giving back to Raider Nation and giving back to those kids that, that are going to go on and do amazing things one day. You know, that that's what it's all about. That's why we're here. So, you know, that's my mission, and that's that's what Walter Payton Man of the Year really was for me last year. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, and I, I was doing some reading on that, and, and I saw that no one um, who was – three years or less in the league had, had won that award. So I thought it was really interesting that you only, as you mentioned, only in year two were already getting nominated for, to be recognized, you know, as, as a nominee. So I thought that was great. And I also, I really liked the, uh, the, the thing that you, and I believe it was, uh, Hunter Renfro and Foster Morrow did last, I was thinking it was last year around this time, I believe it was when you guys kind of made it a little bit competitive, who could raise the most money for that uh, four square uh, foundation. And I, and I ended up donating to you uh, because you came on my podcast. Yeah. You came on my podcast last, last year around this time. And, and so I was like, I got to pay it back. And so I donated to your site. And just today, it's funny, just today in the mail, I, every once in a while I'll get like a, um, a letter from four square and I got one today. So it was kind of ironic that I'm talking to you today, but yeah, kudos to you again uh, for all your work that you do there. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about kind of looking forward to this season. You're, you're entering your, your third season in the league and, and you know, we saw you get a little bit more involved in the passing game last year, but what is the next step for you? You talked about staying healthy. What areas of your game outside of health are you focusing on to take it to the next level? Yeah, I think, you know, that, that speaks a lot on, you know, my mission last year was to be a better pass catcher, to be involved in more routes and I'm trying to take that up a notch this year you know I think there was a streak last year before I broke my ribs where I was making at least one play a game you know what I'm saying it was a, a dump off in the flat I might have broken a tackle score a touchdown you know jumped over a guy there, there was about four or five weeks I put together where you know I was making a play and you know that that's great and good and all that but as a fullback I want to be able to to open the door for other guys to be making plays as well you know what I'm saying? I want to be able to move holes uh, a little bit bigger for Josh and now Kenyon and 
and Jalen and whoever's in the backfield with us. Uh, want to be able to give them the flexibility of splitting out wide, you know, playing wide receiver and as a fullback hopping into that running back position and a pass pro and being able to pick up a blitz so Derek can make the play or get it, get the ball out to Darren Waller. Uh, I, I just want to be a part of a really, really efficient offense. And 21, 22 personnel, I want people, uh, uh, defenses to look at our offense and be like, damn, that you know, that that's a, a difference maker right there. There's going to be plays where Josh is going to be able to get the ball. Alec can get the ball. Darren can get the ball. Foster can get the ball. <laughs> you know, you got all the wide receivers, all the weapons. You know, I just want to be on the field on an offense that can just score at will. You know, I think that's that's really the mission. And it's not about – it's not about how many yards you get or how many catches or how many rushes that, that those opportunities will come. It's about being on the field and doing your role as, be, as best as anybody else in the league can do it. And, and that's really what I'm striving for. Yeah, and and, I, and one of the things that I you know as a fan I really appreciate about your game is you know you do it all you, you you can you can handle the ball in short yardage situations goal line situations or or you know third and inches fourth and inches you can do that well uh, I've even seen you from some of your college tape where you you could handle the ball and, and break away and, and and you know pick up big chunk yards you, you're good in pass protection and block lead blocking as you said for Josh Jacobs and you're a great receiving threat. Um, out of the backfield, defensive coordinators and, and opposing teams—they really got to, you know, keep make sure that they're keeping an eye on you everywhere you go. So I, I do love that part about your game. Now, there's some new faces on the offensive side of the ball as well as on the defense. Um, and I know that you've had a chance to to meet John Brown already at, at the workouts that we we talked about at the park. Uh, but you also welcome in Willie Sneed and another running back, Kenyon Drake, who you mentioned. Uh, what, what have your first impressions been of those guys, and, and what do you expect them to bring to the offense this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely met a handful of the guys that you know were just in the group chats or if they've been out to the facility. So you kind of get those brief interactions. But you know, you're you're really excited about building something where, you know, like I said earlier, you get excited about touching the ball and making plays, but. You know that's not that's not the goal of everyone on this team. The, the goal of the team has to be winning ball games, and you know I think everyone's kind of getting onto that same page, that same wavelength, that same belief of like we can really be special if we we buy in and, and we do this thing the right way. So you know I think everyone that's that's coming into this program is kind of getting that vibe, getting that sense when you're in the weight room, when you're talking to coaches, talking to players and teammates. So I think that's the most exciting part is just being able to build that culture and that belief system of. Let's win some ball games, man. Doesn't matter, you know, how many times you you might touch the ball. You don't have to ask for the ball, but when you get it, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Get excited about making that huge play for the team, and you know that belief system is strong in, in here, and you know, that's what you're excited about performing and creating and evolving with the Raiders. Uh, you know, Alec, I want to ask you about the offensive line. There's, it's going to look a little different this year. Uh, there's going to be some new, a new starting right tackle as well as a, a new starting center. Uh, they they brought in Nick Martin, a veteran in the league, uh, who's going to compete with young Andre James for that job. Now, many of us fans, we don't know a whole lot about Andre James. Uh, what can you tell us about him and, and, and why you know you think he'll be able to step right up and take on that challenge? Because uh, Andre's at the field with all of us. You know what I'm saying? He's he's out here in Vegas with his girlfriend, and you know he's around the facility. He's working out with all the guys, and you know you can buy into a guy that shows up every single day working, and he has that offensive line, just work ethic. He's with Colton all the time, Colton Miller. And, you know, you've got a good rotation of people that they're able to kind of stick around with one another and be able to buy into to whatever, you know, the goal is and the mission is. So you see Andre at practice and, you know, he's snapping the ball. He's, he's making all the plays you need him to make. And so that's kind of what gives 
guys in the facility, you know, that belief that he can take that next step because we've seen it. We see him against, you know, all of our starting defensive players. And you, you get the, the training camp reps. And, you know, I, I don't think that that's one thing that the fans definitely missed was being able to see those those practices or the training the training camp practices, the, the games, you don't get a feel for how he can move in space and how he's playing ball. So, you know, he's out at the field with us all the time, and you guys get the pictures and all the videos of, of the guys running deep and, and catching those deep passes, but Andre's working on his snaps and his sets. So, you know, that's something that's encouraging, and you, you just believe in a guy that works that hard. That's right. You know, I, I forgot to mention him. I did see him in, in one of those photos that I saw. So yeah, good, good to hear that he's out there, you know, getting that, that camaraderie and that repetitions with, with, with the quarterback, Derek Carr. Uh, last one I have for you, Alec, before I let you run, um, this team has been close in each of your, your first two seasons, the last two seasons, you know, you guys, you've been in position to, to around mid season to, to make a run at the playoffs. You know, you faltered down the stretch, uh, but but the feeling in the building has to be that this is the year that you can break through and, and, and maybe get to the playoffs. You know, what are your expectations uh, for this team in 2021? <laughs> the expectations that we aren't going to be close anymore. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, it, it's about That's time, right. like you said. It, it just just like you said, I mean, it, it's, it's not about being close anymore. It's not about being a young team anymore. It's not about, oh, the offense or the defense or, or anything. You know, it's a team now. We, we've had a few years of, under the same system, we got a, a core group of guys that are buying in, um, and now it's time to play ball. It's time to execute, and it's time to, to win some games and have fun doing it. You know, I think there was a couple games last year. This, I, the one that, that resonates the most with me was the Denver Bronco game, uh, the first Denver Bronco game, and being able to just play fast, physical, bully ball, you know, just – Every, everything seemed to be clicking on all cylinders. And that was that was a belief right there. There was a buy-in on that game where everyone was playing and believing one another and cutting it loose. And to be able to do that for 17 straight weeks and, and now 18, you know, I think that's, that's the mission. you got to be able to play your best ball all the time. And, you know, the wins and the losses will come, but as long as we are getting better every single week. You know, we, we aren't worried about, oh, this play, that play. It, no, it's it's about growing as a player growing your role being better on an iso block for me from week one to week 12 and and being a better pass catcher from week five to week 17 you know that consistent growth i think that's what's going to put us over the top this year so that's that's what i believe in and that's the that's the expectation i have all right, Elk and Gold, everybody, thanks so much for your time tonight and also for representing uh, you know, Raider Nation so well. Keep up all the great work that you're doing both on and off the field. Uh, again, as a fan, I really appreciate that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, keep it up and, and stay healthy this season, and good luck. Just pod, baby. Congrats on 100 episodes. I'm happy for you guys. Keep doing your thing, and thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. All right, that was my spot with Elk and Gold, Raiders fullback. Uh, thanks to Alec for for giving us some of his time, and you gotta love his attitude, right? Just 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 a ball of positive energy, and and glad to hear that you know his body's feeling right, and he's uh, putting up big numbers in the weight room, as he said. And you know he may be a young guy on this team uh, entering his third year, but he has really developed in, into one of the leaders on this team, and and you know would not shock me to to see him be a team captain. Um, if not this season, very, very soon. And uh, I just think he was a great pickup by Gruden and Mayock as an undrafted free agent. And I really meant that, what I said about 
his game. He, he really does do it all very well. He can catch the ball. He's a very good blocker. Uh, he's a smart player. He plays hard. He played injured through the rib injury this season. He can pick up short yardage. Just just a great player to have on your football team. Loves the game. And most importantly, he's a great teammate. So And a great person on top of that, obviously, with the, the Walter Payton uh, Man of the Year nominee for the Raiders in, in 2020. So I hope you enjoyed that interview there. We're going to keep this thing rolling. Uh, up next, we're going to bring in our guest, Dane Brugler from The Athletic. What we're going to do now is, is is take a dive into some draft talk. Just about two weeks away now from the big event. So I had to reach out to one of the best guys out there in the business and get him on here with us to chat. Uh, if you don't already subscribe to The Athletic, I would recommend you do so because in addition to all the great Raiders coverage that you get, you're also going to get tons of great draft analysis from our next guest, and that is Mr. Dane Brugler, who is an NFL draft analyst for The Athletic. Dane, I know it's a very, very busy time of the year for you, so I appreciate you making some time to squeeze us in tonight. No problem. I appreciate you having me. It's uh, the draft on one hand feels like it's still, you know, months away, but on the other hand, it can't get here soon enough. So, you know, I, I, with all the haze in the barn at this, at this point in the process, it's just, it's uh, ready to draft at this point. Very good. Well, I hope you can actually uh, get a chance to relax a little bit and really just kind of enjoy the draft. Uh, we're really glad to have you on the show. Um, now, those for those of you who don't uh, don't follow Dane or are not aware, um, don't have an athletic subscription, you should get one. Every year, Dane releases his NFL draft guide, which is also known as the Beast. And let me tell you, you will not find a more detailed breakdown of the prospects uh, every year in the draft. And I'm just going to toss some numbers out there for you guys. This draft guide includes 636 prospects. They're all ranked. 415 scouting reports. Pro day numbers, information, you name it, it's all in this draft guide. In fact, one of the things, Dane, that I really love about what you do and the information you provide is about each one of the prospects, their backgrounds, going back to their childhood, growing up, when they started playing football. And you have all kinds of interesting little nuggets of information. For example, one I'm going to toss out there is you pointed out that Zach Wilson takes uh, medication for ADHD. I, mean, I don't know where you get this, uh, this information from but you leave no stone unturned uh, and that's why I really appreciate what you do uh, but I kind of want to start there obviously a project like like the beast it's a massive undertaking so talk us through the entire process from start to finish when it begins how you gather this information you know things of that nature well I appreciate the kind words it, it, it really is a year-round project um and i've already started on next year's uh guide uh, and you know you just you pick up these things uh, through different conversations whether you're talking to scouts or players or coaches and you inevitably pick up these little nuggets of information and you know by asking the right questions and understanding uh you know different perspectives out there um and you know it's a it's a big information trading system basically when you know you're trading pieces of information for other pieces of information and it's really my favorite part of this entire process is and i love the scouting aspect i love watching tape analyzing these guys understanding what they do best what do they need to get better at how do they project on the field but my favorite part is learning about all these guys' backgrounds and, you know, cause no two are, are alike, you know, they all have started playing football at a different time. They all had different experiences in high school and in college. 
to get to the doorstep of the NFL. And I think it really helps us determine not only, you know, the player they are now, but where they're headed by, by kind of understanding where they're coming from. So it's all relevant information. Um, and so it's something that I find really, really fascinating. And, you know, I, it, that, that to me, the point of the beast and each profile is if you know nothing about a player, absolutely nothing. My hope is by reading my draft guide, by reading about the player, um, you know, you have a, you can be able to picture him in your mind by, you know, looking at the raw stats, looking at the pro day numbers, looking at the background, uh, you know, looking at all the analysis of strengths, weaknesses, projections, summary, all of that. You know, that's the goal. Uh, I, I want to be able to paint a clear picture for you to best understand who that player is and how he can help your football team. Yeah, well, I got to tell you, I, I think you, you did a great job of, of reaching that goal because I'm really leaning on this draft guide more so than I have in, in past years because I didn't get a chance to watch as much college football this season. I've got a couple young kids at home. And I just, you know, I'm spending all my Sundays watching football, so I can't, I got to pick one day. I get one day a week, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to watch football. So I, I chose Sundays. Um, so I'm really going through this guide with the fine tooth comb and, and, you know, trying to learn as much as I can about these pros these prospects. So uh, again, great job uh, again this season. And you know, one of the things that I've been very curious about throughout this whole evaluation period leading up to the draft is how the opt-outs that we saw this past season in college football, how's that going to impact, you know, someone where they're drafted? A guy that comes to mind for me is Gregory Rousseau out of Miami. Only 15 games played in two seasons. One of those seasons, as we know, very highly productive with 15 and a half sacks, but then he opts out this past season. So I would imagine that has made your job uh, that much more difficult to evaluate him and, and you know could that have an impact on how high or even how low a player like that is drafted based on the opt-out so I'd like to get some of your thoughts on that yeah no question and it, it's really a unique season um, a unique draft process because of those opt-outs and there were a few players that they didn't need to take another snap for us to understand what kind of players they are uh, you know Penny Sewell from Oregon Jamar Chase uh, from LSU, Rashawn Slater, Northwestern. I think those three players are still going to be top 10 picks uh, when it's all said and done uh, on April 29th. But there are several others who opted out where they don't have that body of work, where there are still lingering questions. And Gregory Rousseau is definitely one of those guys. He was mostly a wide receiver and a safety most of his life. And by, by the time he was a senior in high school, he finally outgrew those positions moves to the defensive line. He misses his entire first year at Miami because he was hurt. Second year in 2019, that's when he blew up 19 and a half tackles for loss, 15 and a half sacks. Only Chase Young at Ohio State had more sacks than Gregory Rousseau. So you're getting excited about, okay, this, this is a player here. But then he opts out of the 2020 season, and we're left with these lingering questions about, okay, well, you know, he's got a good first step. He's really long player, uh, 34 and a half inch arms. But, you know, he, 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 a lot of his wins came from when he reduced inside and he's rushing from the A-gap. Uh, you know, what are his instincts like? He needs to really do a lot more in terms of expanding his pass rush moves. So there, there's a lot of things where it's, it's, it's a faith-based projection with him. Several things to like, but, you know, you have to kind of bridge the gap and say, well, if he, if he develops, this is what he could be. And it's just there's a lot of ifs and projection involved. So 
for a guy like Gregory Rousseau, if he played in 2020 and he kind of, you know, was on that same trajectory and built off of what he did in 2019, well, we're talking about a guy that's going in the top 15 picks, but because he didn't play all of a sudden he might be uh, fall out of the first round completely just because there are those questions. And, you know, there's more proven players uh, that teams are going to be more willing to take a chance on. And I think another factor here. You look at Isaiah Wilson last year, uh, who, you know, the Titans drafted in the first round, a colossal bust. Uh, you know, he's out of the NFL right now after, uh, you know, two teams said, you know, thanks, but no thanks. We're not uh, putting up with this. And, you know, with the, this draft process, we don't have the combine. We don't have facility visits. We don't have private workouts. We don't have a lot of the one-on-one time that teams usually have with these players, not only to get to know them as, as the players, the on-field part, but to get to know them as people. And, and so that's a big factor in this as well. The seniors, the guys that have been around for a while, that area scouts have a better idea for, we're going to see those guys maybe get bumped up a little bit where these younger guys, where there's just not as much of a body of, of work, where there might be some questions about uh, just, you know, what, how quickly are they going to be able to uh, – make an impact for your team and how much development's involved. That's where it gets a little murky. So guys like Gregory Rousseau and a few other of these opt outs, they could see a little bit of a fall uh, on draft day. And maybe that ends up being a steal for a team uh, later on in the draft. That's certainly possible. But, uh, you know, it's just it makes it really interesting when we try to evaluate these guys. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be one of the things that I keep a close eye on uh, during this year's draft. One of the other things that comes to mind for me, uh, I think we could see possibly um, a higher number of teams looking to trade back, maybe acquire some more mm-hmm. picks, get out of that. You know, especially like when you look at the Raiders picking that middle of the draft, you may see teams there who, you know, have a couple of prospects they like, but guys that, you know, are big risk, like a Gregory Rousseau. And so you, we might see teams looking to trade back a little bit more. Those are just some of my thoughts. But of course, our guest tonight. Well, and go not ahead. not go only ahead. trading back, but trading for future picks, uh, I think we're going to see some of these smart teams say, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a fourth round pick for a third round or next year uh, when, you know, theoretically uh, next year will be a much more normal process where we'll have more information on these guys. And so I won't be surprised at all if we see some of these smarter teams try to acquire picks next year as opposed to picks this year. So it's just some, another uh, a wrinkle to watch uh, for this year. Our guest is NFL draft analyst for the Athletic Dane Brugler. Last week released his draft guide, The Beast. Go check it out. You will not be disappointed. Uh, let, let's focus now on the Raiders. They have some needs that could that could use some help throughout the throughout the draft. Let's start with maybe the biggest one, and that's that right tackle. I keep hearing this is a a, a good class for tackles. There's some depth at the position. You have Sewell, Slater, and Darisaw at the top of your board with round one grades. Tevin Jenkins with a borderline round one two grade, followed by. Cosme, Eckenberg, Christensen, Randuns, and Hudson rounding out your top 10 uh, tackles. A lot of people out there think the Raiders must use their first overall pick at 17 on one of these tackles. I'd prefer that they just go with a, uh, a best player available approach or maybe, as I mentioned, a trade down scenario should that present itself and, and look to take advantage of some of that depth that's there at tackle and maybe pick one up later in round one if they trade down or even in round two. What's your, what's your take on a strategy like that with the tackles? I think that makes sense. Uh, you know, Usually it's you get your tackle early or you're out of luck. But this year is kind of the exception where – you look at the second round, you look at the third round, 
even into the fourth round, I think there's going to be some quality tackles that you don't have to take one in the first to get your guy. You can wait if you want. Now, with that said, if you know if you have Christian Derisaw sitting there for you at pick 17 and you have a first round grade on him, by all means, go get your tackle and you know maximize the the, the talent at that position. And that's what uh, I came out with my seven round mock on the uh, athletic. Uh, today and that's where I had the Raiders going in the first round. The pick seventeen was Christian Derisaw, six five, three hundred twenty two pounds, uh, really good mover, uh, smooth mover. Uh, you like the body type, you like the length, um, you, you like the way that he moves, even with that at that size, uh, the way he can use his hips. Uh, there's a lot of ability there. I wish he was a little bit more of a finisher. That's why you know I I think he's not high, more uh, talked about as like a top fifteen guy, top ten guy. But still, he's a really quality player who I think you plug in at right tackle from the get-go, and that's going to answer a big need. But you look at it, and you know one of these linebackers could be awfully enticing. You know, Micah Parsons or Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. That's a possibility. Um, you know, I, but you know, if they want, I, I think that instead of you, you don't want to forecast too much ahead. You don't want to like say, well, we could get this guy here, and we can get our a tackle in the second round. I mean, it's hard to do that because, you know, your tackle might get snatched up before your second round pick uh, comes around. But in a draft like this, where there are so many quality tackles, uh, as long as the Raiders see it that way, I mean, there's always a chance they don't, they might see three or four tackles that they love and that's it. So, you know, that's something worth pointing out. It's, you know, not every team sees these classes the same, but I think this is a tackle class that, you know, universally, a lot of teams are looking at this tackle class and are, are kind of licking their chops saying, okay, we can get better on the offensive line. And so the Raiders, if they don't go tackle in round one, fans shouldn't revolt because I think they have some pretty quality options on day two and day three. Yeah, I like where your head is at uh, about some of those other defensive players that might be available or could be available. Parsons, Karamoa, and I'm gonna. Add, I got a question for you about them a little bit later on. Uh, I got. I got another follow up about the offensive linemen. Three other guys I want to ask you about in particular that I think many believe out there could also play tackle at the next level. You have them listed as guards in your guide. Uh, what about Elijah Vera Tucker, Alex Leatherwood, and Jalen Mayfield? Now, from what I gather, based on you know your your guide, you have them listed as guards because that's where you believe they will project, you know, best, uh, fit best in the league. But but should Raider fans feel confident that if one of those three guys are the pick to play right tackle, that they can, they can handle that job as well? Yeah, I mean, I think they can. Um, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker, he, to me, he's a natural guard. I, I, I really feel that way. Six, four and a half, 310 pounds. He was a really good guard last year on the 2019 film. And then with Austin Jackson being a first rounder to the Dolphins, uh, they kicked uh, Vera Tucker outside to tackle, and he held his own for the most part. Uh, but you watch the Oregon tape, the last game uh, of the season, uh, and he he struggled with some of that outside speed. And so uh, he has only 32 and an eighth inch arms. And I, th- I think the arm length thing can be a little overrated, uh, overstated at times. But you know, at 32 and an eighth, that that's pretty short uh, for outside tackle play. Um, and his wingspan is, is not as long as you want either. So I think Elijah Vera Tucker is a natural guard. Um, I, I can understand that why, you know, we'd be looking at him maybe as a tackle. I think if you could, he could play tackle in a pinch. But for the most part, I, I want to see him inside a guard. 
Leatherwood, on the other hand, we, we've seen him play tackle at a high level in the SEC for the last two years. And so I, while I, I do think that his skills might be maximized inside a guard, Leatherwood at least I think has more of a body of work um, at a high level uh, playing outside, playing tackle. So I, I do think that he will be a tackle on some boards. I'd say it's about 50-50 just based on the teams that I've talked to with Leatherwood. Some see him, want to keep him at tackle and let him fail there first before they would have to move him. Others see him best uh, inside a guard uh, right from the get-go. Um, Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan, 6'5 and a quarter, 326 pounds. Uh, really young player. He's still just 20 years old. You see the natural power. Uh, didn't test all that great. He was a little heavy at 326 pounds. I I thought he was maybe uh, you know put on some extra weight that maybe he didn't need to, and that affected how he uh, worked out. But I think that he's a projection. Um, I, he played only right tackle at Michigan the last two years. I like him best inside at guard where he can use that power. Um, another guy doesn't have great length, 32 and 5-8-inch arms. So, you know, guys that I think offer a little bit of versatility, but for the most part, I, I like their fit inside a guard. NFL draft analyst for the Athletic Dane Brugler joins us on Just Pod Baby. Just a couple more for you, Dane. You're doing a great job. Uh, let's jump over the defense now. The Raiders had the NFL's 30th ranked defense in points allowed uh, a year ago. They brought in Yannick Ngakwe in free agency to help with the pass rush. But outside of him, no real true difference makers were brought in along that defensive line, which is why I think. You know, the Raiders really need help at all three levels of the defense. So I think they could go anywhere with, with one of those early picks in the draft, whether that's along the defensive line, maybe bringing in another linebacker, uh, a slot corner is another area. I think many believe the biggest need is at safety. Based on what I'm seeing in your guide, there doesn't seem to be a true fire round one, you know, free safety. Uh, so I, I'm getting the impression that it might be wiser by teams to maybe hold off on a free safety to maybe round two, round three. I think so. I think it'd be similar to last year where, you know, we saw some pretty talented safeties go in the second round. We didn't have one in the first, but we had Antoine Winfield go in the second round. Uh, Jeremy Chin go in the second round. So I think it'll be similar this year where uh, it, there's a good chance we might not see a safety go in round one. Maybe Trevon Merrick, uh, the safety from TCU, maybe he sneaks in there. But for the most part, I think that day two range is, is going to be the sweet spot for some of these safeties. Uh, you look at Richie Grant from UCF, who's my top-ranked safety, uh, can fly around the field, uh, make plays in the air, uh, make plays against the ground. Um, big fan of his Javon Holland at Oregon, six one two ten, really uh, natural uh, nickel, but I think he can play free safety and, and do a nice job there. Uh, he has a, a, a nose for the football, and when the ball is in his area, he takes advantage of it and, and makes interceptions. Another one of those opt outs that you wish you had that extra year of development to watch and understand, uh, you know, just who he is as a player. So, you know, there's a little bit of missing information there, but I think he's kind of right in that. I think he's going to end up right in that range where the Raiders are picking in round two, right around pick 50. So Holland is a name uh, to keep on the radar. And then in my mock draft that I had uh, up on the athletic today, I had the Raiders going free safety in the third round. And that's Andre Cisco from Syracuse, 6'1", 216 pounds, really good athlete. He did not opt out, but he did tear his ACL in September. So he missed basically the entire 2020 season. Uh, wasn't able to work out during the pro or during the, the pre-draft process. 
So, you know, the medicals would be important for him. Um, you know, as long as the doctors say, you know, the ACL recovering fine, he'll be ready for training camp. I, I think Cisco could be a really nice value in round three. And I apologize. I, I, I didn't see your uh, seven round mock that came out today. I, I wasn't on the site at all today, but I'm going to check it out as soon as we get off the get off the air here. And it's interesting because in my notes here, I have two two safeties written down guys that intrigue me. Holland and Cisco were the two guys that I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. about. And you already talked about them, So I'm glad you did that. Um, defensive tackle. The Raiders signed three different defensive tackles in free agency. None of them I consider to be long term options. I think they all signed one year deals anyways. Uh, so they, you know, it's it's a position a position of need in my opinion. Um, outside of Bar, uh, Barmore from from Bama, what are some other names out there that have some juice as a pass rusher from the inside? Well, um, it's funny because this is the defensive tackles where I went in the second round in, in my mock draft, uh, and that's Levi Onzorike from Washington, who. Uh, another opt out, uh, another guy you have to kind of bridge the gap a little bit and figure out, uh, you know, ask some uh, some of these questions just to figure out, um, you know, what he's been doing to get better as a football player while he, uh, you know, was an opt out. 6'3, 290 pounds. You know, the production doesn't get you too excited, but when you watch the tape, you realize, okay, they asked him to, to be a nose tackle uh, in a three man odd front. And that's just not what he is. He is a quick twitch penetrator and a guy with a motor that just doesn't quit. So you use him as more uh, of a three technique and, you know, use him in different ways. uh, You know, whether you put him over the, over the B gap or just move him around. Don't just put him in front of the park him in front of the center and, you know, just ask him to occupy blocks all day, move him around a little bit, use his athleticism. And I think he could be a guy that gives you that interior uh, disruption, um, a little bit of versatility with the way that you want to mix and match that, that defensive front. And if he were to make it to, what is that, pick 48, I think, in the second round, if he's yeah. going to make it to 48, I, I think, love that value there. Uh, I mean, I think there's a chance that teams in the late one are going to be considering Onzerike. So if he lasts all the way to 48, love that value. And I think it's also worth noting that this defensive tackle is probably the weakest position in this year's draft. So if you have a chance to get your guy, I think you need to take advantage of it because it's just not a position that stretches. The depth isn't there in this draft. Awesome stuff there. Last one I have for you is about the linebackers. You talked about Parsons and Koromoa uh, earlier in our conversation. I love both of those guys, but I want to ask you about Parsons. How would he stack up against uh, other linebackers in past draft classes? And and, and is, do you really believe there's any chance that he is there at 17? I think he can be. Um, I actually had him going 18 in my mock draft to the Dolphins. So, um, I, you know, it, it is. I think he's going to go somewhere in the teens. I would say anywhere between 11 and 19 is where Micah Parsons is going to go. I think the Giants at 11 will be considering him. You know, the Patriots at 15, the Raiders at 17, Dolphins at 18, Washington at 19. Somewhere in there, uh, uh, one of those teams is going to get a really good player. Uh, Michael Parsons was mostly a pass rusher most of his life uh, throughout high school. He goes to Penn State. They move him off the ball. uh, And all he did in two seasons at Penn State was lead the team in tackles both years. And he wasn't even a starter one of those years. Um, Another opt-out. So, you know, another one of these guys where uh, you have to ask some of these questions and some extra things to figure out. But 6'3", 246 pounds, and he ran a 4.36. I mean, there are some corners and wide receivers that are jealous of that time, uh, you know, that they don't even get close to that. Michael Parsons is a freak. Uh, We talk about his athleticism, uh, the way he moves. 
Um, and he's just scratching the surface of how good he can be. So there's so much to like about Parsons. As long as, you know, you feel good about the person and the football character, you, you know, you know, you, you feel like you're making your defense better with him uh, on your defense. Uh, I actually, in my mock it, with their second third round pick, that's where I had the Raiders addressing linebacker. Uh, and that was Baron Browning from Ohio state, who is another one of these freaky linebackers with uh, the way he can move 6'3", 245 pounds. Uh, he ran in the mid four fives, 40 inch vert, uh, six, seven, eight, three cone. And you see that athleticism on tape. He can cover tight ends. No problem. He can string out runs. Uh, you know, he could be a designated pass rusher, put his hand on the ground on third down, let him get after the quarterback. Um, you know, there's a lot of things you can do with a Baron Browning when you talk about the size, the length, the athleticism. Um, so, you know, I, in the third round range, you know, the, you, you worry a little bit about the instincts and just, you know, where his mental process in terms of diagnosing and, uh, you know, sniffing out what the offense is trying to do. But that's why we're talking about him as a third rounder and not a first rounder. So a lot of ability there and a guy that I think just brings some extra juice uh, to your defense uh, at a position that I think the Raiders can get better. All right, Dane. Uh, listen, I got, I'm going to let you run. I could spend all night talking to you about this stuff. I don't. I don't know if our wives would like that too much. But uh, again, thanks again for uh, giving us some of your time tonight. I always look forward to the conversation. Go out and read the Beast if you don't already. Go out and read his uh, new seven round mock that dropped today. I'm going to do the same as soon as we get off the phone here. Dane, thanks again. Keep up the great work, my friend. Anytime, Evan. Take care. And we are back here. Uh, for one final segment on show 100, Just Pod Baby. I'm your host, Evan Grote. Hope you enjoyed that that interview with Dane Brugler. Man, he that guy just impresses me with his knowledge and, and his ability to just spit out those those numbers, the measurables, the 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 arm length, and and the and the 40 times. Just just an encyclopedia of knowledge. That guy, and and I love talking to him. And I tell you, and I really do mean it. Uh, I think he is a, a, a rising star uh, in, in the industry. I mean, obviously, he, he's very well known uh, with The Athletic, but I would not be surprised to see him hit the big time uh, anytime soon. So thank you again to Dane Brugler, and, and I do highly recommend you guys getting your hands on on his draft guide, The Beast. Okay, let's now welcome in our third and final guest for the big episode, big number 100. It's an honor to welcome in this guy, our next guest, a legend in the radio business. Currently, he is the host of Brick at Night with JT the Brick on Sirius XM Radio Channel 82. That's Mad Dog Radio. He's also the host of his own show, JT the Brick Show, on Raider Nation Radio, noon to 2 on the West Coast, 3 to 5 on the East Coast. And he also hosts the pre- and post-game shows along with his sidekick, Eric Allen, each, each Raiders game. Let's say hello to the one and only JT the Brick. Evan, thanks for having me. Thrilled to be on. How are you? I'm I'm doing very well, and and we're uh, you know very happy to have you on. Thanks for uh, jumping on the line with me, JT. You know I'm familiar with your story and how you broke into the radio industry, but what I would like uh, to hear about from you is is when and how your relationship began with the Raiders and how that all came about. Wow, that's a good question. It's been a while. In 1996, I get hired by a company in Vegas sports fan radio network to do an overnight radio show. And in those, that year, year and a half, I was taking a lot of calls from Raider fans nationally. I was on KMBR in San Francisco, Boston, 
Dallas, Detroit, and Raider fans gravitated to the show because we took a lot of calls on football. And then the uh, senior assistant at the time, the GM, Bruce Allen, heard me in his office in the middle of the night, and he said, who's the guy taking all the Raider calls? He made a call to my mentor, which really ties this up, a guy by the name of Andrew Ashwood, who passed away. I wrote a book about him called The Handoff. And a couple of phone calls later, I get a call from KMBR in San Francisco asking if I want to move up to the Bay Area and take over the pre and post game in 1998. So it all started that way, just from being on the radio late at night and an executive hearing me and being on a great radio station. And really, it started with the black hole. It started with the black hole, you know, getting permission from them to talk about the Raiders because I was an outsider, born and raised a Giant fan in New York. And those guys said, yeah, you're going you're gonna to give us the coverage we need. And that's really my legacy on the radio is putting more Raider fans on the radio than anybody. And we've been doing that since 1996. And now it's my 23rd year coming up with the team. And we have a new flagship station in Vegas. So it's really come full circle, and I'm excited and proud of that. That's that's great stuff there, and I and I do know that you're a, a, a native of New York. I'm actually that's where I'm calling from. I'm I'm out here in Western New York. Grew up more so in Central New York, about an hour from where you went to college at uh, Geneseo. So I'm familiar with with your old stomping ground there. But uh, you know, as you said, you've been a part, you've been with the organization now for a, a little over 20 years. Now, I'm sure you've had the opportunity to meet many of the greats, and I'm assuming that you've had conversations with the late, great Al Davis, and now, of course, the his son, Mark Davis, the current owner. You you have probably witnessed your fair share of great moments live and in person in Oakland. Um, but, but of all the experiences and all the moments with the organization, is there any one that stands out to you in particular that you could share with us? Yeah, there's a few. I mean, Al Davis, who I got to meet several times, but I didn't know him well. I I was at a Hall of Fame function in, in Canton, Ohio, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and Mr. Davis saw me hosted my radio show in the lobby of the McKinley Grand, and he brought me into the ballroom, and that was a moment that will always stay with me. And then Al Davis, as you know, went to Syracuse with the great Jim Brown, who went to Syracuse, and I was able to reconnect Jim Brown and Al Davis before a Cleveland Brown game in Oakland. They hadn't seen each other in over a decade. And that's probably my highlight story of my career. And then anchoring the pre and post game from the Super Bowl that the Raiders lost in San Diego was a big stage for me that I really enjoyed. And then having the big thing for me is the relationships I've made. I mean, I've been very, very blessed and lucky to consider Fred Bolitnikoff, not only a friend, but a great friend to have the to have the honor of being in the room with Jim Otto and Jim Plunkett and Tom Flores many times and been behind the scenes of a lot of events in Napa and private events where I've emceed and I've seen these legends and they're all humble and they're all amazing fun guys like Phil Villapiano and Otis Sistrunk, uh, Howie Long hanging out and interviewing him in London, you know, traveling with the Raiders to London tw- twice in the last five or six years has been incredible to see Raider Nation overseas and hang out with Mark Van Egan and all these other guys. So really, there's a bunch of cool stories for me. And I just try to stay in my lane and try to tell stories on the radio and get more and more opportunity. And now the next chapter, which is a big one for me, because I've lived in Vegas since 96. I was commuting to Oakland for most of these years working for the team. And now they're in Vegas with a brand new stadium. And they're adding to their fan base 
with the with the fans in Vegas. So it's exciting times ahead. The legend JT the Brick is our guest this week on Just Pod Baby. Now I know over the years uh, you've been able to develop a really good relationship with Coach John Gruden. He's now entering his fourth year in his second stint. The overall record isn't great, nineteen and twenty nine. They've been in position though each of the last two seasons to make a run at the playoffs, but had some mishaps toward the end of the season. But overall, how would you assess where the rebuild uh, the rebuild currently is? Well, it's it's not a it's not ahead of schedule. I can tell you that, but it, it's kind of where it needs to be. You know, John Gruden and he made a decision that he was going to build this team differently with his guys. He wanted his type of Raider players, like he had the first time. And Reggie McKenzie and Jack Del Rio did a nice job with their team. And John Gruden wanted different players, and he kind of tore down the roster to build it in his likeness. And it is what it is. I mean, they've been roughly a 500 team. Last year, they should have won 10 games. They were a 10-win team last year. I keep saying that, but they only won eight games. You're as good as your record. But I think everybody knows the talent level of the Raiders when they beat New Orleans and they beat Kansas City in Kansas City. So this is a good football team. It's not an elite football team. And now, you know, they got to take the next step. And Derek Carr's in his fourth year in the system. Josh Jacobs is a very good player. Darren Waller is the second or third best tight end in football. He's brilliant. They got wide receivers. They have depth. Uh, they, they uploaded the defensive line. As you know, they just let Arden Key and Mo Hurst go because they got a lot of depth up front. And now they got to do a better job in the draft. I think what's disappointing me the most is that some of the draft picks didn't hit. And it's tough. It, it goes to show you every team deals with this, but John Abram hasn't hit yet. Damon Arnett hasn't hit yet. They brought in Corey Littleton, the linebacker from the Rams. I didn't think he played well. Nick Kwiatkowski is a good player. I think he can play, but they need better players than him. And they got to find a way to, to rebuild that secondary. And the, the good news is, is that Gus Bradley's perfect for this because he has a deep, deep understanding of how to build the secondary like he did with the Legion of Boom in Seattle. His hands were all over that. He coached linebackers with Coach Gruden in Tampa. He was a head coach in Jacksonville with some pretty good players up front like Calais Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe who are here now. So I think they have a defensive coordinator that can get more out of this defensive roster going forward, which is a priority. It's go time. This defense has got to improve. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think uh, the upgrade, definitely an upgrade from Paul Gunther to Gus Bradley, and I think there's going to be a lot, a lot on his plate to to get some of these guys who did not play so well last year under Gunther to uh, develop these guys quickly and get them up to speed. So I'm with you on that. And we did just get that breaking news, as you mentioned. Uh, the Raiders made a couple of transactions today with the release of Arden Key and Maurice Hurst, both members of that 2018 draft class. I want to I want to jump over to the offense. You you just gave us a pretty good rundown on the defense there. I want to jump over to the offense. I want to ask you about the wide receiver position. I've got some concerns going into this season with Ruggs and Edwards as your top two options. I understand Darren Waller is the primary pass catcher on this team. And and I've got a lot of confidence that a guy like Ruggs and, and Brian Edwards, that they're doing everything they can in the offseason to uh, get themselves up to speed, make the necessary improvements. But until I see it on the field, I think that that position, wide receiver one and two, remains a question mark. Now, keep in mind, they did let Nelson Aguilar walk in free agency, so there's a lot of production there that needs to be picked up. 
Yeah, and I think they'll make up that production with Brown, who came in at wide receiver, and he's a productive player. I think he can put up really good numbers there. But your assessment is very fair. I mean, think about this for Ruggs. He comes in as the first player drafted in Las Vegas, and he had to deal with COVID, COVID protocol. Uh, he didn't get a chance to practice much with his teammates. That was a difficult transition. You know, C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy came in. They struggled at times with their team. So it's, it's very difficult to come in and instantly think that you're going to be an impact wide receiver. But Ruggs was taken very high in the draft, so he's got to play at a much higher level. So I agree with that. So he's got to play at a higher level, and they got to get a lot out of him. And one name that you missed out on, I know you didn't forget, but we got to mention Hunter Renfro because Hunter Renfro has to be elite. He can't be good. He's got to be one of the top three to four slot receivers in football, period, or you don't need him. And I think he's going to be really good. So when you look at what they have, Waller is not a tight end. He's a receiver. He, he receives the football at 100 catches. He broke Tim Brown's all-time single-season record. So try to, think of, try to think of Waller as a receiver. So let's just say this, Evan, where he gets 100 receptions again. I think that's fair. Or 90. That means in a football game where you only get 55, sometimes 60, 50 possessions on offense, Waller's going to get 10 to 12 targets out of the 50, 55. Uh, Jacobs is going to get 20 carries. So between Jacobs and Waller, that's 30 out of the 60. Now you give Edwards three or four. You give Ruggs seven or eight. You give Renfro six or seven. You start hitting Foster Moreau. Uh, Kenyon Drake is a tremendous addition. He is the best backup running back in football, no debate. He's a starter on 10 other teams. He's a backup. He's going to get touches. So, there's, there's only one football. Eric Allen laughs at me all the time I say that. There's only one football, and it's tough to get that football to everybody in a game. So I'm really high on this offense. I think that Ruggs is going to play much better. I think that Renfro is going to have a breakout year. Edwards is healthy. He's going to play well. And then you got to get production out of Brown and a couple of the other receivers Zay Jones, the guys that you think could do something and have to be productive. But I don't think this offense is a problem. And I think Carr is going to have a better year this year than last year, and he was pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I agree that the, the offense wasn't the, the big problem, of course, but I you know, just had some, some minor concerns with, with those two youngsters. Uh, but I, as I said, I well, got... Well, 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 hopefully, well yeah, yeah, and you should have some concerns with the offensive line because true, we'll, we'll true. get to that without Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson. Even though Incognito's coming back, Colton Miller, depending on what they do in the draft, the offensive line did not get better. It's the only unit on the team that did not get better. You can question Aguilar, which I think is fair. He was very productive. I think the running back room upgrades. I think the tight end room is great. I think the quarterback's fine. Uh, the left side of the offensive line with Incognito and Colton Miller is fine. The defensive line was significantly upgraded. You know, the thing I, I get concerned about is Rodney Hudson and no Gabe Jackson and Trent Brown being gone and good riddance to him. They have to now find a way to solidify that right side of the O-line. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I couldn't agree anymore with you there. And, you know, and, and that kind of leads me to my final question here. Uh, before we wrap it up, I just want to get a few of your thoughts about the draft. Obviously, you mentioned the need at right tackle. I think, I think that's obviously a place where they could go early in the draft. 
I wouldn't mind seeing some help on the defense as well. I think all three levels could use some help. I see you out there on Twitter really beating the beating the drum for a, a Micah Parsons, and I'm with you on that. I think he's an elite player in this draft, and if he happens to fall to pick 17, you have to take him. But if he's not there, let's say, you know, for example, he's not there, it's a deep class at tackle. Uh, you could also use your pick there. I like Barrymore out of Alabama. He really intrigues me. He could solve a problem that's been on this roster for many years with a lack of a pass rush from the inside. I know they brought in some guys in through free agency. Um, there's also some high upside pass uh, edge rushers. So, you know, I'm not quite sure there's a safety worth taking in round one, but what do you think, if you were calling the shots, what's the best course of action right now in your mind to attack at least the early rounds of the draft? That's a great question because here's the deal. At 17, you can just stay there at 17 and get a hell of a player because of all the quarterbacks that are going early. All Kyle Pitts, the tight end, the wide receivers, Penny Sewell, the best offensive lineman, they'll all be gone. So as I'm telling you, I'm telling everybody this. The Raiders picked seventh in the draft, not 17th. The 10 players who are going to be taken before him, five of them are going to be quarterbacks. Five quarterbacks and five super elite position players. So start the draft off at pick 11, and the Raiders pick at 17. So if they got a player that they love, they love, they better hope he's there at 17. And I think he could be, because if they have an offensive lineman like Slater, the tackle, or Jenkins, the tackle, or that Quiddy Pay, the edge rusher out of Michigan, or Micah Parsons, just wait. Be patient, and one of those guys will be ready. But now I don't want to see him trade down. I'd like to see him go get Micah Parsons. Because Parsons, the Raiders need a linebacker who's an alpha, who can tackle in space and line up a team and just be a badass. And they didn't do it two years ago. They didn't do it this past year. They've swung and missed at many linebackers. I think he's a can't-miss player. So if he's available, I would take him. But I'm leaning towards them picking a right tackle because I think it's too important, Evan, because if you look at what they did by locking up Colton Miller, which was a brilliant move. Colt Miller was a Gruden pick. Gruden nailed that pick. He needed it. He didn't have enough bodies. He went with Colt Miller. Raider Nation was confused about it, and now they've re-signed him. He's the first re-signed first-round pick since Darren McFadden. Let that sink in. Okay, so Miller's going to be there now for five, six, seven more years, I believe. And then on the right side, if you get the tackle, you'll have Miller and the other tackle to build this line around and that might be where they're going but it's either going to be a the best defensive player on the board or one of their top two or three tackles that's still available and either way I think they'll get an excellent player yeah yeah it should be interesting and uh, we are two weeks away exactly two weeks away now from the draft Uh, there you heard it folks the legend JT the brick JT I really appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule uh, for us here on just pod baby always been a big fan of you and 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 your work Uh, thanks again I couldn't I couldn't appreciate it anymore thank you my absolute pleasure coming on thanks for having me I look forward to doing it again and there you go JT the brick how cool is that right not every day you get to, to chat with, with, with JT the Brick. Uh, big thanks to him and, and really all three of our guests tonight. I, I hope you guys really enjoyed the, all three of those discussions. All right, guys, that is going to do it for episode number 100, our celebration here tonight. Uh, just some programming notes for you to be aware of. Uh, I'm in the planning stages right now with Mo Moten to get him on, hopefully, Monday uh, the 26th. That is the draft week. The draft will be on Thursday night. 
Uh, we're going to be doing our third annual Momo and Mock Draft Show. Uh, it's always a fun time. Mo goes through his his full round one mock draft, and we kind of go through it all and, and chat about each pick and whatnot. It's always a, it's always a good show to listen to. Uh, if not Monday, possibly Tuesday, but I'm hoping for Monday as long as it fits within his schedule. Uh, but anyhow, the point that I'm making is uh, don't expect a show from me next week on Thursday. Uh, I'm just going to push it back a couple of days and, and then and then you know release the show uh, on on draft week. Uh, like I said, Monday, hopefully the 26th. And um, I do think I'll try to get something out. Maybe not Thursday night. We'll see, depending on what happens. Uh, but if not Thursday night, maybe Friday night uh, during uh, the second and third rounds of the draft to kind of recap the 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 first half of the draft for the Raiders. So that's a tentative plan. But as always, I'll keep you posted on Twitter of of any changes uh, to the schedule. All right, guys, uh, take care, uh, and thanks again for all that you've done, loyal listener to the show. And until we chat again, I am your host, Evan Grote, and as always, just win, baby.